the present pursuit of entertainment, education, and some adjective to be named later. The Poems Army proudly presents Trek West 5, a conglomerate podcast of science fiction, politics, humor, and, and pretty much whatever else they want to talk about. Your hosts for Trek West 5 are Joey and Peter. Good evening and welcome to Podcast 161. I am Peter. And I am Joey. Uh, welcome back, everyone. Uh, it's been a, had a week off uh, due to... Family things? Family. Okay. Family, I guess, is excusable. Um, the podcast continues, though, and uh, I don't think we have anything to announce. Oh, you know what? No, we do have something to announce. We got uh, some new... Uh, recording equipment. Uh, so we mentioned uh, maybe a few weeks ago, a few podcasts ago, that we are going to be doing a work-related podcast, which is going to be about programming stuff. Yep. So probably pretty dry for most uh, most <laughs> people out there. Um, but uh, we got a bunch of new equipment for uh, doing the recording, all on the company dime. And the last piece arrived today, which was the new soundboard, and I think Joey and I are going to be using that as a uh, tool for testing. Yes. Going to see how Reference that rolls implementation. out. <laughs> maybe uh, once we've got that fully tested and we're comfortable with it, maybe then we'll finally do the um, Kickstarter. Maybe. Maybe. If uh, Joey ever gets around to publishing the text I sent him. I sent you text. You just didn't like it. Oh. <laughs> you said, no, I think it needs to add more of this stuff. Okay. And then I never added any of it. <laughs> I do remember that part. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're, we're pretty jazzed about that. Otherwise, nah, I don't think there's any new stuff. I don't think I have anything. Nope. Uh, I do have an Adventures in Republican. Are we doing that now? Let's do that now. Okay. So, uh, we had a central committee meeting a week ago, Saturday, and there, so there's a, there's a document here in the state of Utah that's kind of making the rounds. It's called the Utah Compact. You can read it at utahcompact.com if you're really interested in political doublespeak at its finest. It, and it's not, it's not new. It's been around for right. uh, almost like a year now. Yeah. Oh, Actually, more than a year. More? It was, uh, November of 2011 was when it was drafted and okay. signed. And uh, it, it it directly is attempting to deal with, or at least it claims to attempt to deal with, immigration. So immigration is a real hot-button issue in the United States of America right now, mostly around uh, illegal immigrants and how we deal with the very large quantity of illegal immigrants that we all highly suspect are here in this country, what what shall we do with them? So the, the Utah Compact, um, it, it's a document that was put together by the Salt Lake Chamber of Commerce. And there's a lot of people in both inside and outside the state of Utah that are, are looking to that document and using it to help frame the discussion. They, they, they want this to be the way we approach the, the topic of immigrant immigration, specifically illegal immigration. Over the the past six months or so, there's been a movement to incorporate the Utah Compact as an entire document within the Utah County Republican Party's 
party platform. So the platform is a document that it kind of gives all the the uh, the planks they they call them. It's basically all of the top, the issues that Republicans use to differentiate themselves from Democrats and and what our feelings are on those issues. So one of the planks in the in the existing platform is a plank on immigration. There was a movement to replace the Utah Com- or replace the existing language with the Utah Compact part and parcel. Um, the, the problem with the Utah Compact, in my opinion, is that as I said, it's 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 a masterpiece of political doublespeak. It it uses a lot of words to say absolutely nothing that you could ever pin anyone down on as far as we're going to actually do something about this. Yeah, from my understanding, it's not a document that spells out exactly how we're going to handle it. It's a, look, this is how we need to generally feel about the issue. That's a good way of putting it. Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, because from my understanding, the, the little bit that I had heard about it, and you've heard way more than I have, but the the bit that I've heard about it is that it is just trying to help people realize that these are real human beings here. Certainly. Not, you know, ho- horrible villains. Right. And that, you know, there there's a mindset that needs to shift beyond just a, okay, they're all terrible human beings. We need to kick them all out and get our jobs back. Which is what the perception about, I think, the Republican Party feels. Yes, I'd agree that that's the perception. Yes, and yes. I'm glad you used that word yeah. because it, it is important that we stress the fact that I the, most of the Republicans that I associate with actually would tell you, you know what? I think it's awesome that these guys are here and doing this these jobs that we can't get. You know, Americans, you know, people who are naturalized citizens. We can't get these people to do them. So if these guys want to come here and do the work, that's fantastic. We support that. Let's please help them do it in a legal way. And the people who are not here legally and are getting a free ride on the system, let's find some way. There are various opinions on how, but let's find some way to get them so they're participating in a legal way. Now, Again, there's a lot of different, like there are people who say, okay, we got to send them all back to their country and they have to come back here legally. There's other people that say, oh, we should just have a day of amnesty where everyone who's here at that point is now a legal American citizen and anyone who doesn't get here by that date, then now you're going to be treated differently than the people who were here illegally on that date. Um, But the, the thing with the Utah Compact, if you, as you read through it, Every sentence in the Utah Compact can be interpreted in two opposite interpretations. It's very, very carefully wordsmithed, in my opinion, to say, oh, I could read it to say, yes, that supports the concept of amnesty, or I could read it to say, no, that supports the concept of let's export them all and get rid of them. Well, yeah, okay. I have not read it fully myself. But I would think that you're going to run into what we have with, you know, law stuff or the Constitution itself, which is the problem of strict interpretation, loose interpretation. Sure. So is it really fundamentally that different from a lot of, you know, what's out there in government right now? I think so, yes. I I, I think that... 
as you read the language of the Utah Compact, if you were to read it, you can see that it was the words are carefully selected never to actually take a stand of any kind on any issue. That it says, oh, we should we should feel compassion. It doesn't actually use the word compassion, but we should feel uh, good about the people who are here. We should treat them kindly. I have no problem with treating anyone kindly. So, to, so I should I should just in case it's not not clear at this point. I actually opposed this idea of putting the Utah Compact inside of our party document. Now, I'm fine with the Utah Compact as a document. I, I personally would not sign it because of the the issues that I mentioned that I think it has. It's it's very vague and, and wide open to interpretation. And also because the politicians who have signed it, when I've asked them, okay, please explain to me how you interpret this sentence that I think could go either way. So I've I've pinned down my own legislators, the people who represent me, and said, you signed this document. Please explain to me how I interpret this sentence because I read it and it could very easily go this way or that way. None of them can give me a straight answer. I say, am yeah. I supposed to interpret this sentence to say amnesty <laughs> or no amnesty? Well, you know, we should really get down to the root of the problem, which is that the federal government, and I'm like, no, 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 no. Amnesty or no amnesty? And they won't give me an answer on that, which. Admittedly, they're politicians. That's Welcome their to job. politics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's no surprise there. <laughs> we wanted instead, uh, uh, so there was a, a, a faction of us in the Utah County Republican Party who instead wanted a document that was pretty clear. Said, you know what? People who are here illegally, the federal government has to do something about that because the state can't. We cannot legally, like we have a law in the books right now, HB 116, which is illegal. It is contrary mm -hmm. to the supremacy clause of the Constitution. We don't support that idea. We don't, the, the, the people who were, so the, the two platform proposals we had, there were P105, which was, let's use the Utah Compact. And P106, which was, let's strengthen up our current language, make it more clear where we stand, but remove anything that sounds like hatred or vitriol. Because there was some of that in the previous uh, version of the document, in my opinion. And and so we we had these two competing proposals. And uh, I spent, I think, between Thursday night and Saturday morning of last week, I probably spent about 40 hours um, writing political speeches for people. I guess it would have been Wednesday night when I first started. Um to try and help make the point against P105 and, and for P106. And again, we were trying to get to a document that says, yes, we have compassion. We, we understand these people are here. They're not bad people. Some of them may have innocently broken the law. Some of them may have knowingly broken the law, but they're here and, and there's reasons for that. We need to work with the federal government to get a solution in place. For example, a migrant worker visa of some sort that is actually viable and for the people who are, are here illegally, let's get some kind of plan in place that they can work towards citizenship, but not just say, oh, we forgive everything you've ever done. It's all fantastic. Welcome to America. Um, one, of the, one of the topics that we made sure to include in P106 was, uh, you know, we talked about how the idea of amnesty actually potentially causes a... a, a great deal of harm to people from countries that can't walk to America that are trying to immigrate. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the, the best example 
kind of the the poster child, if you will, for for that that we use is one of the Utah state representatives here actually is married to a, a woman he met in Russia and they got married and then she immigrated and she became a naturalized citizen. And she talks about the process of trying to get her family over here to join her and how because of the the stupidity of the current immigration laws, which I granted, I think they're horrible. We need to fix that. Um, she She had trouble getting her family here trying to do it all legally. And, you know, the argument that they make then is, Look, if they'd all just flown to Mexico and walked across the border, they'd be here by now. Well, couldn't they just fly to America and... Uh, <laughs> Not report? Um, <laughs> yeah, just stay? Yes, sure. <laughs> anyway, so so these, these two uh, proposals came up, and it was very, very interesting to hear the, the people who were in favor of the Utah Compact. The only thing they wanted to talk about is how... If we don't adopt the Utah Compact, then we are bad people because we 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 are so hate-filled. Why can't we just love people? Why can't we stop hating people? And and the argument that the people that were in favor of P106, such as myself, were trying to make was, you know what? I can I can stop the hate without saying the Utah Compact. That is not the only possible document in the world for expressing we have an issue. Here are some possible resolutions or here's some steps we need to take towards a resolution because again the utah compact is not trying to suggest any kind of solution as you said it's just trying to express how we should feel the the utah county republican party platform is a document of solutions or steps towards solutions not a document expressing feelings we won the vote for p106 the, the the compromise language by two votes. So we needed a two-thirds majority. The, the Utah Compact language failed uh, to even get a simple majority. It got about 34%. The of system votes. works. Yes. It was fantastic. And it was, I, I actually, we like we went in Saturday morning and we, we tried to make a, an agenda change through parliamentary procedure and the agenda change failed. And the reason we wanted to make an agenda change is because some of the people who supported the Utah compact were out out telling people, Hey, you know what? You can vote yes on both. Just vote yes on both. And then that way, whichever one's actually the best wins. Well, according to Robert's rules, you actually cannot vote yes on both. In fact, if one of them passes, the other one cannot be voted on. It's improper to bring up the same issue through two different motions at the same meeting. And so we we convinced the chair that this was improper to, you know, and we're like, okay, well, whichever one comes up first, if it passes, then the other one we we don't even get to discuss. And he said, okay, we're going to do that, but we're going to discuss the Utah Compact one first. And we said, no, 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 we want to discuss ours first. Sure. <laughs> you know, I mean, obviously, right? And And so there was a vote put to the body. Can we change the agenda to put P106 in front of P105? And it failed miserably. I mean, we, I think we got like 18 votes or something like that. <laughs> and I thought, oh, no. Oh, no. We, we are, we've lost this. And based on that, that initial vote, I started interpreting that as, as this just outpouring of support for the Utah Compact. But in the end, the, the delegates spoke, and, and I happened to agree with what the delegates said. And that made me really, really happy. 
So uh, anyway, just a, a little Adventures in Republican there. The other one small comment I want to make here in Adventures in Republican is, I don't know if you've seen this, but Mia Love has already filed to run for Congress again in 2014. Yep, I did hear that. Um, I'm, I'm excited about that. Once again, basically the same person. <laughs> yeah. I... <laughs> okay. I uh, I think that was a good adventure that you have taken us on. Okay. Do we have a nook this week? Um, yeah, we probably do, but we're actually going to do Facebook Find of the Week. Oh, right. Yeah. That thing you don't that participate thing, yes. in that you helped fi- found. Um, let's see here. i got to bring this up here. Okay. It's not the Calvin and Hobbes thing. Uh, left my feelings. Not the XKCD. It was... Yeah, it was the uh, going to listener Bob for posting up about how Netflix and Babylon 5 creators, sorry, The Matrix, (laughs) um, Netflix signs up The Matrix and Babylon 5 creators to develop a new sci-fi series called Sense8. Yeah. uh, Which is due to come out in the future sometime. Uh, No word as to when. I loved your comment to this, by the way. That was you encapsulated it so beautifully. <laughs> you have to let the Wachowskis start it and Straczynski finish it. Yeah, uh, because doing it the other way, <laughs> the worst of both worlds. <laughs> <laughs> so, Bob, congratulations! Um, you uh, you win, and you will continue to not receive any award. <laughs> Um, okay, the brainy snook of darkness. Yes, the nook. Oh, I do have an email here from uh, uh, John uh, Line Decker. Line Deck. I don't know, John. I'm sorry. I I feel bad because I think we may have given you a nickname, but I have no idea what the nickname is anymore. Just tell Pete what it was, and he'll start reading it that way. Yeah. Apparently, you get to pick your own nickname, because we're not going to bother to go research it and find out if that was the nickname oh, we gave you. Oh, heavens no. No, that would mean I would have to go and listen to a bunch of podcasts that we've done. Yeah. I don't want to do that. <laughs> I, me either. Uh, he says, Pete and Joey, have a happy Easter, John. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. It was awful nice of him. Uh, let's see here. We are going to pull up Brainy's Nook of Darkness. He says, Sup, dudes. Some notes to John. Dude, great insight on 39. I love that song. And very good sci-fi. By the way, the three Queen albums before and after opera are also very great. (laughs) I can't wait for you to hear them someday. I'm assuming he's referring to you at that point. Probably, yeah. Um, do you have the remastered opera? It's got a version of Love with Car and only vocal and guitar tracks. My preferred version. Didn't the Av Q guy also co-write the Book of Mormon musical? Isn't he also Mormon? Well, he's a genius. And as far as your song, um, well, he is a genius. Period. And, as far as your song, period, I am not a huge RHCP fan, but their wayward guitarist 
John Frusciante, recorded some very crazy solo albums. Included in one of them is a really amazing cover of your song. Check it out. Also, John, why is it so hard for Pete to say Hulked Out Rage Fit? <laughs> he's saying John here, but like I can't decide if he's really means you, Joey. I assume he means John, and he wants John to write in or maybe appear. Yeah, on the but the whole again. comment about Hulked Out Rage Fit, like you had to help me. Yeah, read through that because I was. But was it John's writing that you were trying to read? No, it was. B- it was Brainy's. It was Brainy's. I don't know. Okay. He continues, for this week's Nook of Darkness, I am going to keep it supas brief to cover an ironically relevant yet also interesting Voyager two-parter called Equinox. Written by the big three, Berman, Braga, Minoski. So the starship Voyager is lost in the Delta Quadrant. Isolated from humanity for five seasons until the encounter... Until they encounter another Federation ship out there. The two ships reunite and hug and stuff, and at first it's cool. <laughs> then it's not. I, I, I've never seen starships hug before. <laughs> it's it's pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see here. Voyager Captain Janeway has been adhering to Starfleet principles and morals to help her crew hold on to their selves mm. in a hostile place. The other ship, the Equinox, is captained by John Ransom, who is much more of an Admiral Kane. What names? So, in this region of space, there are these cute aliens that look like blue, big blue Slimer tadpoles, and they jump in and out of our plane of existence, also offering to help the human navigate. We later find out that Ransom has been harvesting these poor little aliens for mega warp fuel. The humanity. Well, this will not stand. So Janeway faces off with Ransom, and we see some scenes that confirm my belief that Janeway could contend with any kick-butt BSG woman character. Hmm. Voyager Equinox Parts 1 and 2, Sci-Fi 8, TV 8. Okay. Uh, I'm glad to know that there are some other good Voyager stuff out there. Uh, for me, it's pretty hard to find. I, I wasn't clear on... Is he harvesting the aliens to get a new kind of fuel called Mega Warp Fuel? No. Or lots and lots of warp fuel? Uh, I think he's making a souped up. So, you know, it's like he's got gasoline, but suddenly he finds nitrous oxide. Okay. all right. And so those so things kind of a new, provide a new... some nitrous to give it a little boost, a okay. little jolt. I got a little more excited over that than I needed to, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, so Brainy, good, very good. Um, let's see here. Listener M. Okay. Hey, dudes, I can't find your Facebook page. Well, I don't have a Facebook page. I don't know what uh, top five you are discussing this week, so here is my top five animated characters. Number five, Megatron from the 2010 series Transformers Prime. Okay. Very interesting. Number four, The Brain from Pinky and the Brain. Nice. 
Number three, Rex from Toy Story. He's the, the dinosaur. dinosaur. Okay. Yeah. You had a little blank expression on your face. I was and trying so to I think like, of what makes him a compelling character, but okay. Well, I don't, it's not my list. It's not, it's not my top list. five compelling animated characters. I wouldn't consider Rex a standout character. <laughs> not my list. Go on. <laughs> a lot of hating going on with poor Rex right now. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe Mark can send in an email as to why he feels... He, he doesn't have to defend his decision. It's fine. Well, I'm just saying, you're you're throwing out some strong hatred here. <laughs> Let the love flow for Rex. If all we right. get all of our listeners to share their stories of warmth about the, the character their, their of first Rex. Rex experience. <laughs> uh, number two, Bender. Okay. Number one, Homer Simpson. Mm. All right. Uh, a note from last podcast. I really enjoyed your discussion about the press slash media. Joey had a good question about why or when did the media become the enemy to the population? The easy answer would obviously be when they sold out to the Illuminati slash New World Order <laughs> and became the method to mind control and brainwash the general population. Seriously, I do think that it is interesting that during World War II, the press and the media, and even Hollywood, were very patriotic. Something probably happened during the Eisenhower administration. More corrupt individuals started to make lots of money and got into positions of power. Then the corruption fed into more corruption and snowballed into what we have today. Newspapers are losing money and are also losing credibility. I don't know that I necessarily agree exactly with this. Okay. Um, it's, I yeah, I don't really have much to say other than I don't fully buy the fact that they're all corrupt, terrible people. The the news media in general. It's unfortunate that, as I think I stated, that they don't agree with what I'm saying. <laughs> But that doesn't necessarily make them corrupt, unpatriotic, even. Okay. So, okay. anyway, uh, Joey, culture uh, corner, your culture corner, please. So there is no big idea in this week's culture corner. This is uh, what sim- simply entertainment. But it was fantastic. I <laughs> I enjoyed this so much. That this better to... not be the rocket thing. Or otherwise, I'm going to punch you in the face. What? Well, the rocket craze that is going through oh, our office no, at the moment. No, it is not the Kerbal Space Program. No. <laughs> I did not enjoy the Kerbal Space Program, mostly because after hundreds of hours at that program, I never managed to obtain orbit. And then people Poor in our Joey office are failed. doing it after days. Yes. That's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, this is a, a movie called That Funny Feeling, starring Bobby Darren and Sandra D. Uh, so it's, a, it's an older oh, movie. Oh, sorry. I thought you said Bobby McFerrin. No. <laughs> no nope. <laughs> he did movies? Uh, also a musician, Bobby Darren. <laughs> well, good, but, you know, it's a shame that Bobby McFerrin couldn't have done any more movies that we uh, like. I agree. I, I like Bobby <laughs> McFerrin and would, would have seen, would have watched a Bobby McFerrin movie. Contact, starring... Jodie Foster and Bobby McFerrin. 
as the father. <laughs> would have turned that whole thing around, wouldn't it? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> would have been a lot more fun and light. Maybe uh, Gary Busey's son wouldn't have blown up the uh, <laughs> the uh, the big loop de loop thing that they were making. Oh well, sorry, I didn't mean to uh, tangent us onto a Bobby McFerrin podcast. <laughs> okay, so so this is just a, a light-hearted romantic comedy from I don't know what is that the fifties or sixties. I I don't even know when. I've never Bobby heard McFerrin of McFerrin and Sandra D were running around, but. You've never heard of Bobby McFerrin? Or Bobby McFerrin. Now you got me doing it. <laughs> Bobby Darren and Sandra D. No. Oh, okay. I've never even heard of the movie you mentioned. Well, the movie, I don't know I don't know if it's one of their more popular movies or not. I'm not actually the biggest Sandra D fan in the world. Uh she's she's the quintessential blonde ditz. Wait a second. Is this what Sandra Day O'Connor did before she got into <laughs> The Supreme Court? No. Did she put? Did Sandra she do it? D. She that uh, that's like her like stage name. <laughs> you know her actor's name. She had to put in her dues in the early Hollywood, and then she because of all of that, she managed to make her way to the Supreme Court. No, that is not how it went. Nineteen sixty five is when this movie was made. All right. Well, I am totally lost. You should just take this all. So uh there there's uh the 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 plot is that uh Bobby Darren is kind of a high-powered executive for a I think for a small publishing house I think is what it was. And Sandra D's character is a for-hire maid who cleans up his house. And the two never meet. I mean, he's given the maid service a key and she comes in, she lets herself in, she cleans up his house, locks the door as she leaves. And the two meet outside of his apartment. They they quite literally run into one another, and this sets up the whole romantic comedy gag of the you know they don't even know the ways in which their lives are connected kind of thing. Um, I, I don't want to say too much more about the movie because you don't want to spoil the big I, idea. I don't want to spoil the hilarity. It is probably one of the funniest movies I have ever seen. I laughed at. Every single gag they threw out there, I thought it was incredibly funny, and even my wife was laughing. She does, she and I don't normally laugh at the same kinds of things. I've noticed. <laughs> she, she she doesn't think I'm funny is what I is what that translates to. But we both laughed at this. We both really had a good good time watching it, and it's just a nice, warm, romantic comedy. I give it a thumb up. I I really really enjoyed this movie. That funny feeling starring Bobby Darren. Bobby McFerrin, and Sandra D, not Sandra D. O'Connor. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now I want a movie starring Sandra Day O'Connor and Bobby, Bobby McFerrin. McFerrin. <laughs> <laughs> and I want it to be some, like, gritty urban sort of thing. <laughs> she could be hooked on drugs and Bobby McFerrin's her dealer. <laughs> We are writing this. You and I are writing this. Oh, that would be brilliant. Oh, so good. Okay, Pete. Our top five this week is the top five works of art. This can be sculptures, painting, whatever you care to call art, honestly. Okay, so here's the deal. 
I'm not a big art guy. Yeah. I just don't, like, I don't get art sometimes. And that's my problem, my fault. It's not the artist's fault at all. I don't blame artists. Um, I got nothing. <laughs> I honestly, I thought about this. I honestly, I have nothing. There's nothing that I look back on and think, yeah, yeah, that's a great work of art. Really? Nothing. I look at art and I think, oh, that's neat. Oh, that's kind of cool. Oh, that's very interesting that they did this, you know, centuries ago when it still is, you know, around today. But nothing that nothing I... Nothing ever speaks to you. That's I'm, interesting. I'm dead inside. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I'm sorry. I can't participate All in right. this. Maybe there's something I might agree with in your list. Okay. Since clearly you are far more cultured than I, since you have your own corner. <laughs> So, Joey, what is your top five? So, I want to start with an honorable mention, and I'm I'm putting these guys on there, not necessarily because I want them in my top five, but because I think these guys get a lot of undeserved hate from people who are kind of like what you might call the highbrow or, or you know, the high concept art fans. I think that uh, Bob Ross from The Joy of Painting, PBS show, and Thomas Kincaid. The, everything these two gentlemen have done, I have enjoyed. I think it's fun to look at it. What? <laughs> I'm laughing because I have a friend who she works for like the Utah Art Council or something like, or Salt Lake City art stuff. She puts on the gallery stroll okay. once a month for the the downtown area and whatnot. Uh, and she cannot stand Thomas Kincaid. Yeah hates him yeah like so like people she's who, just like oh that's just that that's not art it's not that's, art that's that, what they always say right it's mass-produced <laughs> crap Consumer that crap. you put yeah. on you on your wall i like it i don't care i don't care if it's art in their terms or not i think it's great i think they deserve an honorable mention in my list as okay. a result okay uh my number five is piet mondrian's compositions with yellow blue and red so these are the. Do you know who? Do you know Mondrian's stuff? <laughs> Serious? Did I, you I not know, just listen to me? I, I didn't know if maybe you would recognize the name. I mean, it's not completely unheard of that you have. I've heard of uh, Michelangelo. Okay. I've heard of Da Vinci. You've heard of Donatello and, and Leonardo. <laughs> oh, sorry, that was I already said. You already him. said that one. Yeah. Okay, Pete, I am turning my laptop here so that you can see some of Piet Mondrian's compositions in red, yellow, and blue. I think the best way to sum this up would probably be for me to say... <sighs> I like them. I think, they're, I think they're fascinating. I can look at them for a very long time, and I, and I see different things when I look at them. I, you know, looking at the way he used the space and stuff like that, I enjoy it. Uh, my number four... Is again another one. I think it gets a little bit of of hate that it doesn't deserve, but it is considered classical art. I believe it's uh, Christina's World by Andrew Wythe, and I'm sure you've seen this one. This is a a girl sitting in a, a a wheat field, looking at a house off in the distance, and it's a, a pretty standard piece of of art that they show you at some point in high school to say this is art. Admire it. <laughs> Two out of five. No idea what you're talking okay. about. A Sunday afternoon on the island of Le Grand Jatte. 
by George Surratt. Now I know you know what this one is because You've you had to listen. It. You had to sit there and listen to me talk about it for like an hour one time <laughs> as I podcasted on it. Yeah, that like the name sounds familiar. Couldn't place what the picture looks like. You've seen uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Grudgingly. Oh, okay. I, I won't try to use that as a point of reference then. It, does he paint that in Ferris Bueller's Day they, Off? They go to the museum and they stand there and look at it in one scene. Oh, but yeah, no idea. If you don't enjoy the movie, you probably won't remember yeah. that scene. Um, My number two is Prom Night by Norman Rockwell. So this is this is my favorite Rockwell painting of all time. It's the one where the there's two there's a couple and they're sitting at a an, like an old fashioned soda counter, and the guy who's the soda jerk is leaning over, smelling the rose that is the corsage that the that the young man has given to the woman as they're getting ready to go to prom. Uh, it just speaks to me of a of a time in American history that I wish I had been there to participate in. You know, the world was a little bit simpler, a little bit slower moving. We all kind of got along better, it seems like now. You know, I, you know, again, I wasn't there, but the perception that we have now is that, yeah, everyone was just kind of happier to be American and to be alive and stuff like that in the late 40s, early 50s kind well, of period. Well, that's what Rockwell is selling, yes. for sure. Yeah. Um, my number one favorite paintings, I could, I could stare at these things for hours and hours. I, I love this series, is Water Lilies by Claude Monet. And I, I read a biography as I, you know, I was trying, I, I, I would look at these and be like, I don't understand why I'm so drawn to these paintings. And so I started reading a little bit about Monet's life and what he was going for in, in these paintings, I think is actually, I think, he communicated what he was trying to communicate. And that's why I love him is because I understand the thing he's trying to communicate, which is he's trying to capture light. He he wanted to be able to paint what light looks like. And so he used the framing reference of, okay, I'm going to paint the light as it's coming across the water and shining on the water and the, the shadows cast by the lilies. But I totally understand this concept that he t- he spoke of back then of, I want to capture the way light and how it makes me feel. It speaks to me. I love it. I, I really enjoy the the Water Lilies series by Claude Monet. <laughs> I'm sorry. You were on number three there. <laughs> number three. All right. Number two. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, it, I continue to be dead inside because, uh, yeah, I, n- none of those speak to me, n- nor do I know half of them. Okay. Really. So, uh, yeah, it's a good thing it's Joey's Culture Corner because... Well, that uh, was our top five. That wasn't the Culture Corner. Yeah, but you're the one who clearly has <laughs> oh, see, the culture. I see. I see. You you are the one that possesses well, it. And, and I apologize. I didn't get po- this posted on Facebook soon enough for anybody to really chime in here, uh, any of our listeners. Hopefully our listeners will be able to... You know, bring on Facebook some of the things that they like because, in addition to having my own five list that I wanted to share, I was also hoping to you know experience some stuff that moves other people and why. Uh, now, if we did uh, video games, I'd be up for a top five video games. Okay, we, well, we we'll, should we should add that to our we'll, list. Somewhere. We'll add that to our list. 
Moving on to episodes, we are going to cover episode 9 through 10 of Battlestar Galactica Season 2. We'll start with episode 9, Flight of the Phoenix. Since he can't grope Boomerang anymore, Tyrrell makes his own baby. Unable to find any spare Cylon parts, he builds a spaceship instead. Did you just really call her Boobner? Boomer. Boomer. <laughs> Boomer. Did I stop? I heard <laughs> something <Boomer>. else. <laughs> um... Okay, so it's out in the fleet now. You yep. know, there, there's the the Cylon is still alive, and Hilo's bearing, you know, the the repercussions from yeah, being he, a Cylon. He's a lover. pariah. Yeah, people are just that seems fair. I don't know what he expects. Yeah, I, I don't see how he could possibly assume that everyone's just going to love him and be a okay with him being around. Just. It's it's impossible for him to think that. Yeah. Um. So let's see here. Oh, at the beginning we have this scene where Tyrrell is looks <laughs> doing his job, and he is <laughs> sensually ca- stroking, caressing yes this viper. And there's this weird kind of synesthesia thing going on where the touching of the viper reminds him of touching Boomer. Yeah. Yeah. And you could say, well, I guess Tyrrell just really likes robots or mechanical things. Machines, yeah. Machines. Um it, it I don't want to say creeped me out or grossed me out, but I just I found it odd. Yes. I'm just going to say that and I, I there's nothing more I really have to say, but it was it was weird. Um coming to find out that Callie is also out of prison. Yes. Throw Fantastic. A, throw a little party for her. And Tyrrell's got kind of a chip on his shoulder, yeah. and it's like, uh, yeah, whatever, get back to work. Uh, you know, I, I can understand why he may not be exactly thrilled to see Callie out of prison. Yeah, he well, he's in a rough spot emotionally, yes. yeah. which prompts the fight that he and Hilo get into a little bit later. Um, let's see here, Starbuck gets in a fight because she stands up for Hilo. Well, because she's Starbuck, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no no argument there. Um, so Hilo and Tyrrell have their little fight, and it's uh, sort of like a schoolyard fight where they get their aggression out and then they're friends afterwards. Except for Tyrrell almost bashes him in the head with that giant wrench. Almost. Right. I can't tell you the number of times I was out on the schoolyard and I had, you know, this blunt object over somebody's head... <laughs> And I was, you know, <laughs> moments away from bashing them in, and they were like, oh, "Yeah, you're right." And did you did you happen to attend Lord of the Flies <laughs> Elementary? <laughs> no, <laughs> I made all of that up. I I got in one fight. It was in the first grade, and then we went to the principal's office. And by fight, I mean. I rolled around on the ground with some other first grader, and I think I tried pulling his hair. Okay. N- neither of us were hurt in the exchange. And I remember in tears, like, <gasps> you know, crying in the sure. principal's office. And the guy I was with, who I had been in a fight with, uh, his name was Wyatt. He had, we, we became good friends okay. later on. Uh, not not a tear. <laughs> yeah, he, he was... Hardened and li- life had changed him already. That he was 
you know. Was he smoking a cigarette? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it was principal, you got a light here. <laughs> I, uh, I was in a fight every single year of school growing up. And I, except for my senior year. So I every year I would make my victory more dramatic, hoping that that would be the signal to everyone not to screw with me. Ah. And it was my junior year when I blinded a kid in the left eye. After that, no one ever picked on me again. There you go. Um, everyone pretty much liked me. Yeah. I was incredibly well-liked throughout my entire school. So what happened? Um, I, I'm not sure where that question is directed. <laughs> I'm a completely well-adjusted person. Uh, okay, so then we cut to to the command center, and we've got some computer problems. D is hur- hurtled away from her screen. I couldn't tell if that was supposed to represent. It was some, the old like, Star Trek an, an electrical, electrical arc. discharge yeah. through yeah. her out. Uh, whatever, R- roll your eyes, right? And uh, we, we it's, it's pointed out. Okay, look, there's a virus here. Yeah. And it's, Isn't this where Gata gets a little uppity? Yes. This is the episode where that happens. So Tyrrell starts coming at him and saying, well, just fix it. Because shouting, fix it. Yeah. Automatically, like, oh, of course. I, sure I hadn't high. thought of the incredibly easy way of fixing this <laughs> ridiculously complex problem. Um, and he, you know, things are falling apart all over the place. And he kind of snaps. Yeah. He's like, it's not exactly the easiest thing in the world to do. Um, and calmly, quietly, Adama says, pull it together, man. <laughs> and so you know, it just kind of goes back. And I don't understand why Ty says, geez, what's wrong with that guy? <laughs> like, that was the most baffling thing about it. Like so, he's he's not feeling any amount of stress at all. Like no, no, he's it's he must tie. I just I I was baffled <laughs> by that comment. That was the most ridiculous thing out of all of it. So here's my question: Up until now, most of, for example, the bridge crew have seemed to just kind of roll with the punches. They they've just kind of kept doing their jobs. Uh-huh. And now all of a sudden, everybody's starting to fall apart. Do you think any of that has to do with the story that the reporter Cylon told where she stressed they're never going to be able to put this burden down and there will be no relief and there is no hope and blah, blah, blah. Is there a subliminal side effect of that story that she put out there? It could, there could be something subliminal only because she's a machine and could have put something like that in there. But I would... Okay. I, I think it's just a symptom of the fact that okay. everything's going wrong. There's no real hope seen out there. I mean, we do have this, hey, we found where Earth is, maybe, we think. By the way, we didn't know where it was before. <laughs> and But believe us this time. <laughs> we don't know how to get there, but we're going to go to this other place that we think we can get some star uh, charts from. Not sure how, but we'll, that's what our, our plan is. All right, what, whatever. I, I think there, it's just everything's kind of running, going okay. down. I just didn't know if maybe uh, Mora was wanting us to 
infer that this was a side effect of the news I, I story. I think the only reason that uh, that you pick up on that is because you're you. Okay. There's just something fundamentally wrong with you. I totally understand. <laughs> so what? Uh, Chief Tyrrell is also dealing with this. There's, you know, kind of the the frustration that everybody's having. And he makes a comment, no one is expecting miracles. Or someone says that. Uh, oh, no, no, no. It was... Uh, it was Apollo said that to Chief. Look, Chief, just do your best. No one's expecting miracles. And he kind of takes that to heart. He says, you're right. You know, no one is expecting miracles. And so he's going to embark on this project. It's going to become his pet project because they're running out of vipers. They can't fix this thing here. It's now going to become a s- scrap um, or, you know, we'll recycle parts off of it. Mm-hmm. And it... It, it uh, his way of dealing with it is he's going to start this project where he's going to build a new ship. Ship. Sorry, not Raptor. I meant Viper. Um. So he's going to start doing that. Uh. Then the president uh, in the episode she gets bad news from the doc. Yep. Only a few weeks left. Yeah. You you've got next to nothing going on. Um. We cut away to the scene of the target practice. Yes. I find this scene um, wasteful. Okay. Why are we having target practice when we clearly have a finite amount of resources? Those bullets are going to be incredibly precious. I get the idea of why you do target practice to make sure you're good, but when you've got a fixed amount of these things. You know, a lot of people who do target practice will shoot with um, reloads that they would never actually use in combat or never actually use in a real-world scenario. So you'll take the sh- the empty shells, you'll, you'll reload mm-hmm. them with a new charge, put a new round in them, and that's something you wouldn't actually go load sure. your weapon with. Sure. That's assuming they have those. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, just saying there's postulating. a finite amount of resources sure. there that you are... Pissing away. Sure. And what's more, you have your Viper pilots shooting them. Well, I think we've seen that Viper pilots are the end-all and be-all of the colonial <laughs> military. They're the pinnacle yes. that you can achieve? They're, they're the equivalent of a Navy SEAL, I believe. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the the air is getting sucked out. Turns out it's part of the Cylon virus thing. Um they shoot their way out. Yeah. They, they shoot the, through the glass. Of the firing range. <laughs> well, I guess we should just move on okay. from that because I roll my eyes pretty heavily. Um, so, silent virus causing problems ship-wide and it's learning and it's it's bad. Um, we have D fighting Apollo and... They get really close. Yes, they do. And they break it off just as she realizes, oh, there's other people around looking at me right now. Oh, Billy. Hello, Billy. What are you doing here? (laughs) I laughed at the whole thing. I thought it was silly. I thought it was actually pretty cool because what we're seeing is a humanizing moment between Apollo and Dee. You know, I mean, we okay. We get so much of 
of Apollo and Starbuck and Apollo and his father and even some Apollo and Ty, he doesn't interact with a whole lot of the other cast. And so it allows us to see Apollo here as a little bit of a human being instead of the uh, the writer's foil mm. that they ge- t- generally tend to use him as. It's okay. Like, we got ourselves into a tough situation here. They're about to arrest President Rosalind. What do we do? Oh, wait. Apollo goes rogue. That's how we get out of this. <laughs> and, and and they're actually developing Apollo, I think, as a bit of a character, uh, as a bit of a human being with a character that we think of as more of a human character, which is Dwala. You know, we we generally see her as kind of the softer side of the fleet. Right. And I, I think that that's what they're going for in that moment. Hmm, okay. Do you like the the would you like to see D get uh with somebody other than Billy? Or do you like D and Billy? Billy D, as I like to call them. Didn't I didn't I declare that Billy has to die, though? I don't remember. It's been too long, and there's been so... He was on so, a list at one point. So, so <laughs> many theories. <laughs> you, you, I can't keep them straight. I don't know. I, I don't think you can. You, you're only getting the ones that are podcast-worthy. <laughs> <laughs> you have no idea the number that gets formulated and discarded within a given episode (laughs) (laughs) um the uh um the whole d thing at one point you thought she might be a cylon right yeah because she was romantically interested yeah still cylon yeah still cylon all right all right mostly because i think it would be the most devastating thing the writers could do to the audience at this point (laughs) and still keep the audience i mean like they could totally say oh yeah rosalind and Adama are both Cylons, but the, at that point you've lost the whole audience. <laughs> you could you could turn out you know, you could say oh D's a Cylon and people aren't going to turn the show off. Okay. All right. Um, so the Cylons uh, are coming in hours. It's determined, and they have decided that they're going to do an erase and a cold start. This is the way that they're going to be able to get okay, rid of this, this virus. This was this was actually the first words out of my mouth when Ty and Gata were going at it at the beginning. I'm like, look, just reboot the darn thing and go to your backup tapes. <laughs> How hard is that? And then they actually get to it within the episode. It's like, oh, good. Clearly, they actually had someone who knew something about computers there <laughs> advising them. No, no, no. Look, that, this is how you fix it. You don't that, have to that. have the hacker go strip all the lines of code, line by line, through the code, blah, blah, blah. No. You, you turn the computer off. You put in the backup tape. You recover. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so Sharon ends up helping. Yes. They, they, they decide to go to her. The Cylons show up. She... <laughs> plugs into the system almost uh-huh. matrix style which okay, has so got to be way cool a, f- a few things here you, you breezed past that i wanted to hit, want to cover um the first one is president rosalind's quote talking about the different boomers can they really be that different from one another mm-hmm. uh i contend they cannot and therefore boomers should not be trusted okay Boy, you were wrong about this then. <laughs> no, I think Adama hit the right point, which is I found a common common ground with her. We both want to stay alive. Right. Um, That's to assume that him putting his gun to her head 
moved her to act in the way that he wanted. No. Yeah? No. I think there's actually a moment before that off camera where he... (laughs) Where we don't have any evidence of it. Yes, that's right. (laughs) Go on, this should be interesting. When he goes to her and talks to her about this, it's not. it doesn't happen on camera. I think that is the point at which... He presented the common ground of, hey, look, if this Cylon fleet gets here and they blow up Galactica, you and your baby are going to die, too. <laughs> I, love, I love the way you logically go through this. Yep, the only way this can work is if I have something that I didn't see within the episode happen <laughs> that fits my theory. <laughs> Clearly, there was a conversation there that we didn't see. He put her life on the line when he put the gun to nah, her head. I don't buy it. Um, okay. What Second thing, thing is, uh, I, I just think it's funny that uh, they parade another boomer through the ship because, you know, that went so well the first time. Uh, yes. And and they used basically the same security setup. No. No. Last time she was just handcuffed no, no, in, no. in front. They use the same number of security guards and, and whatnot, and they don't clear the halls again and things right, like that. Right. Okay. Uh, yes, they've got they went more overboard. Respect. They've got more fear of the Cylon here, uh-huh. but they are still not addressing the problem of all the rest of the people on Galactica. Right. I, I just was waiting for Callie to jump out and be like, "Ha ha!" <laughs> <laughs> I thought that would have been that great. would have been a great outtake. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then uh, just just the the they did not in my opinion, sufficiently explain how cutting her hand open allowed Boomer to communicate with a fiber optic link. That's because you don't understand the software behind the Cylons. Okay, I don't care about the software. It's the hardware that I have a problem with. (laughs) What part of her body is emitting light in order for her... (laughs) Which internal organ is that in a Cylon? (laughs) Don't you remember when the Cylons glowed red? Okay. So there could be something else in there that would have a light emitting diet. She had to get that a lot further up to get to her spinal cord. <laughs> Maybe it's just at the joints. Oh, okay. <laughs> Otherwise, it would be a long and uncomfortable scene as she's feeding the, the line into her arm. Like, okay, can you, see can you pinch that around? Her- <laughs> That's great. <laughs> that Although, would that I would be disturbing to watch. Be. I do think we have a, a new nickname for Boomer. Handhole. <laughs> <laughs> so face hole and handhole. I believe this heals up a lot faster than oh, face hole does. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, she plugs in and we see the, the screen that says, Hard drive reformatting. <laughs> I don't know about you. I laughed when I, I laughed saw it. too. And my wife said, why is that funny? I'm like, I don't know how to explain it. How is that not funny? <laughs> <laughs> We're watching a hard drive reformat. Boy, that's compelling television right there. <laughs> I mean, it, it tells the story perfectly yes, well. Yes, it does. Uh, you know, you don't have to have Gata say, yes, Commander Adama. 75%. The hard drive, it's reformatting right now. Um, okay, so we see a massively scary wall yeah. of Cylons. I don't remember this scene. Oh, okay. 
And when I saw this, I was like, holy crap. Yeah. These guys, the, the, the computer artists who did this, did a great job because scared the heck out of me. <laughs> I mean, because it's, this is massive wall and it's latticed like a chain link fence sort of thing. And it's tall. Yeah. You see the alert fighters going out there and it's hundreds well, high and hundreds m- Maybe wide. 10 fighters and huge amounts yeah. of Cylon Raiders. It's it, it was very effective at at portraying the, so, uh, the so emotion. Boomer crashes the systems of all the Cylons out there, and it's at this point that I actually am a little bit sickened by the behavior of the Viper pilots, the joy that they take in cleaning up Woo-hoo! helpless yeah! enemy. Yeah, right, right. I I actually was really bothered by that. Oh, Joey's a Cylon lover. I, I, you know, I I just expected them to be a little bit abashed about what they were doing. You know what? We don't take joy in this, but it is a duty. We're going to do it. We're going to kill them all. But we don't have to celebrate and say, hey, look at that. I got seven of them with one blow kind of thing. I, I actually was, was incredibly disappointed in all of the Viper pilots in the way they behaved in that scene. Let, let's, that's okay. That's kind of interesting. So let's let's take it from the perspective of the the Viper pilots and maybe a little bit of humanity. The, the enemy that they're facing is not another member of the 12 colonies. Okay. They're not humans. Machines that were yep, the, the agent created by man itself. I think it's totally reasonable to assume that the way that they've set these Viper pilots up, these are Top Gun type people who are not the most stable members of society. <laughs> A little okay. off kilter. I mean, the, the Starbuck is crazy. She okay. is. And so are other people out there. Add to that the component of this is my enemy and this is not human. I I don't care. I mean, not me personally, but like as a fighter pilot, I don't care. Hey, let's go have some fun shooting the crap out of stuff. See, I can see like grim satisfaction or, you know, even just like, Okay, I'm going to pour out all my rage at all Cylon kind here right now. It was, it was the joy and the, sh- the the whooping and the right hollering and in, in excitement that I was like, oh wow, that is just not the reaction that I think. It didn't. It did not feel right to me. It didn't feel realistic to me. I do not think that that would be the true response of those characters the way I understand them. I, I can see it because of the fact that. They've been, they've really only had the one solid victory. Well, I guess they had another victory, but that was trumped by the fact that we got, you know, Adama shot in the gut. Yeah. You know, blew up a base star, but then we shoot Adama. So it doesn't really feel like a victory. This feels like a win. And so there's the excitement, the joy, the ecstasy that comes from, I'm going to wipe the floor with you. Because now I have the power and you don't. Probably not emotionally the right thing to do, but I can understand why they do it. I, I see your point. I'm still going to disagree. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
Joey the Cylon lover. <laughs> so, well, I, I want to be clear here. No, I'll save this for the next episode. <laughs> okay. Next episode, we're going to get into whether or not I'm a Cylon lover. <laughs> oh, Okay, we have the Blackbird. And it ends up kind of looking cool. Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. And it's made from a carbon composite. Yep. That was, that was Hilo's suggestion. And because of that suggestion, everybody loves him. <laughs> what? I, I don't understand. it. So it's using these cast-off engines that were no longer considered useful anywhere. But then when Starbuck gooses it, that thing takes off like unbelievably fast. And I, I just, the, the physics there didn't add up for me. They, it didn't seem like they were regular engines. They were from a different type of machine. Okay. So I'm wondering if maybe... They're just like overrated. It's like putting a overpowered engine in your car. Yeah, yeah. Like putting a Ferrari engine into my Dodge... Ram, Ram 50. <laughs> my 88 Dodge Ram 50. Okay. It would be overkill. And she even has difficulty being able to control it. it yes. It's yeah. I don't know if it was too powerful or if there were some avionics engineering that they hadn't accounted for and well, so she was trying to figure that when, out. When, I don't when know. he was when they were putting it together uh Apollo made the comment that they've got the cockpit too far back and it's going to mess with the stability in flight. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. And she says, oh, we weren't looking for stability. We were looking for just speed. Right. So I, I think that they're showing the, the consequence of that conversation. Okay, yeah, we did give up some some stability. So this thing ends up being what they call a stealth fighter. I don't know why it's a stealth fighter. It doesn't show up on Dratus because of the carbon fiber. So carbon why haven't fiber. they been making carbon fiber stuff before then? Yes. Why not? I I don't know. Apparently, Maybe. it's considered like a throwaway material. I guess. <laughs> and where they get the fi- carbon fiber from when they they don't have any other metal for? Well, it's it, like that's what I'm saying. It's some kind of like trash material that's produced by some other process. That <laughs> <laughs> it's a the ultimate it's byproduct. A byproduct. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so then they they christen the ship Lara, um, named for the president. And I'm left wondering, why is this episode called Flight of the Phoenix? Because it's the rebirth of hope among the fleet. Okay, you heard it here. That's what it is. I, I mean, that's, that's what the, completely that's what the, plausible. Okay. Completely plausible. I just, when they named the thing Lara, I'm confused. You thought it was going to be called the Phoenix? The Phoenix! <laughs> what? What? <laughs> Episode name. Yeah, it was actually it was my last note here is that uh, Hilo's idea combined with Tyrrell's idea actually gives new birth to hope among the fleet at large. <gasps> this is the new Cylon child. <laughs> Wait, which one of them is a Cylon? Both of them are. Oh, <laughs> did you just reveal something unintentionally, and now you're trying to backpedal? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Two humans make a machine. Oh, okay. I see. All right. Um, do you have anything else? Nope. Okay. Listener comments. We'll start with Mark since his email is open here. Uh, so now we know where the fleet gets new Vipers when they lose them in battle. They simply build them. 
Although, where did the carbon fiber come from? Is there a carbon fiber fairy on board? (laughs) I like that idea. We've barely seen the potential of this new ship, though. I have a sneaking suspicion that whenever Starbuck has a new ship, the gods help anyone who touches it. It was a nice touch to name it after President Rosalind. TV 7, Sci-Fi 8. Okay, Brainy. He says, oops, none of this would have been, uh, quote, none of this would have been possible if you hadn't trusted the Cylon, close quote. That's stupid, right? That's right, that's right, stupid, Rosalind. I love Galen episodes. I love how he just starts building because he doesn't know what else to do. And then the community element spawns from his love for this craft. Or maybe it's his love for Facehole. Either way, it's love. love. As R.A.H. said, quote, ah, Love is the condition where someone else's happiness is essential to your own. Close quote. That's right, Jubal. And this episode is all about the chief's love. And Facehole also plays a role in the old man's ability to forgive her and trust an avatar of the very one who betrayed his love. This episode, written by Thompson and Weddle, is a great homage to the old movie. And yay for Sharon uh, kicking butt virally. Sci-Fi 8, TV 9, Music 6. This is a good callback to uh, Strange in a Strange Land there, Brainy. I like that. Uh, All right, Pete, science fiction rating. I really enjoy this. I feel like I might be cutting it short by only giving it an 8 for science fiction. I feel like you're cutting it short as well. I give it a 9. I think the... You know, as much as I kind of rolled my eyes out a little bit, the the whole Cylon light communication thing that was kind of a cool idea, uh-huh. that, which I totally explained. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even have to go off camera to do it. Just the in the the size of the Cylon fleet and the creation of a new ship. I, I think this is a nine. Uh, no disagreement. Um, for television. I think I'm going to only give this a 7. Still really, really solid. There's suspense. I felt like a few things were goofy. I also gave it a 7. I initially had given it a 6. And then when I gave it some more thought, I realized Ty has a human moment in this episode. We don't get a whole lot of that. Ty actually goes and talks to Hilo or to Tyrrell and says, you know, I forgot that I told this guy I'd do him some favor and help him offload these engines. Right. Ty coming around a little bit because initially he has nothing but bad to say about this idea. Yeah, that that moment of Ty saying, "Oh, you know what? I am a human being. Let me let me participate here." I I actually for me it gave it a full point bump. Moving on to episode ten, Pegasus. Who would have thought that the only thing worse than another Cylon attack would be discovering more survivors of the Colonial Fleet? <laughs> That's a great <laughs> summary. Um, okay, I gotta ask this up front, because I love this episode. Do you like it, and is it, It like, for me, it's like, it's one of the top episodes. I wouldn't say that. It was okay. 
I, I didn't hate it. I, I liked the way it started. I didn't care for the turn it took at the end after the murder of the lieutenant. I enjoyed Actually, it. even leading the events leading up to the murder of the, the lieutenant. I thought that was a little a little dark. A little dark for my taste. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's disturbing. It really is. It is absolutely disturbing. Um okay, so they find out that they're not alone. Yeah, Miranda Zero's still out there. Uh we've got uh, the Pegasus shows up with led by Admiral Kane, uh who is played by Ensign Roe Laren and and Miranda Zero from Star Trek the Next Generation. Um it is the emotion that you got to feel has got to be one of first relief. Relief. Yeah. Absolutely relief of oh Finally, we're not the only ones out here who can protect us. We've got some backup. And then two, like, exultant. Because here's this other ship that is... Way newer. Yeah, way more up to date. Probably more powerful. And what we don't know, but we're probably guessing they've got a full complement of crew, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe they don't. We have certainly a reason to believe they are much better equipped to fight the Cylons because they've been hunting the Cylons, whereas it's everything Galactica can do just to run. Right. Um, Actually, you know, there was the the deck chief who comes over and he's talking with Tyrrell. They find out he's actually a civilian who was forcibly drafted in. I don't know where he comes from, but that's... I, that's his history a little bit. Uh, anyway, the, not important. So the question becomes, where have these guys been at? How did they survive? Like everything we had known was that the entire fleet is destroyed. And they do give an answer to it. Yep. It's the fact that, you know, we were... They're in the shipyards. Yeah, d- dry dock, as it were, and, you know, and once it happened... Then we were able to just jump away, and they did what they called a blind jump, yeah, which is just go. <laughs> <laughs> it can't be worse than this, right? I don't understand how you can do a blind jump because from everything I understand about a jump, you have to have coordinates for yeah, where they you're just going typed in to. Some numbers. <laughs> I don't think that's possible, though. Why not? Because you could put in numbers that are meaningless, right? Well, there's a coordinate system, probably based on spherical geometry, Euclidean sphere. Um, I mean, it makes perfect sense. This totally scientifically makes sense if you think about plotting your position in three-dimensional space to be able to say, you know what, I'm just going to pick a random point somewhere in that in that space that I've defined and just go to it without worrying about what's there already or what's intervene, you know, what I might be passing through or anything. So because of that, they're able to get away. Gutsy move works. Um, we have the, the, um, Admiral come on board the, the Galactica. They do the formal like, Hey, welcome aboard. And, uh, we're, Hey, yeah. Uh, so there, there's a there's a thing there actually where 
the Admiral is not the last person off the Raptor. There's one other person behind her on the Raptor. I don't know if you caught this. No, I don't think I did. I did because I was sure they were going to have someone who outranked Rosalind. Oh. oh. And so the Admiral gets off and there's still one guy and he starts getting off. I'm like, oh, yep, there he is. This is going to be a guy who is higher in the chain of command the cabinet the cabinet than rosalind was that would be a very very interesting dilemma Let, let's think about it from from our you know uh um uh, what, what do you call it system of government well not just system of government but uh, the hierarchy of who you know replacing if the president dies right it's the vice it's president not chain of command it's uh order of secession yes thank you so Order of succession. Yes. Thank you. Not secession. Yes. <laughs> okay. That's, that's a first, different thing. <laughs> first, it's Georgia that secedes, <laughs> then Virginia. <laughs> um, so, if we have this catastrophic thing where the president dies, most of the cabinet is dead, and one part of society moves on, that's the majority of it, and they elect as in the case of president roslin one of the cabinet okay you know what from from a legal perspective you are the next person based on the information we had right and then somebody shows up who is um the secretary of defense instead of the secretary of agriculture Or, or even the vice president we find out the vice president the original vice president is alive well, society has kind of already moved on yeah. and chosen a new leader. What happens? That, that's, that's exactly where I thought this story was headed. And that would be way yeah. cool to I, see. I was a little disappointed that it didn't go in that direction. I mean, sure, we get enough of that between the Admiral and Commander Adama. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, that's true. We get plenty of it. But uh, that's where I really thought they were going to go is that they were going to have Adama and Rosalind grow closer because they were both dealing with this experience of having a superior a superior come in and replace them where they thought they'd been doing a pretty good job and they had the support mm-hmm. and they had built this coalition and all these things that they've done that are so great and then have these other two people come in and just supplant both of them at the same time. Right. Okay. Uh, I, I'm quite, quite comfortable with the story we get, yeah. but I think that is kind of a cool idea. What, what would you do? Um, okay. Um, we have the, uh, the exos. So the, the crew kind of mixes with the new people who have come aboard from the Raptor and the, the two exos start hanging out together and because it's Ty, they start drinking <laughs> Cause that's I, I think that's actually what exos do. Yeah, apparently. they bark at people and then drink. drink. Yeah, <laughs> I like I like the little thingy where uh, when the exo made some disparaging comment about Galactica, mm-hmm. and Ty's like, "Just for that, you skip this round." <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was good. Now, the exo from the Pegasus. Tells a story. Yes. Which he tries to play off as... A joke. A joke. Ty is not buying it. No. Not in the slightest. And it's basically the fact that Admiral Kane shot her last XO in the head when he refused an order. Uh, more to the point, shot him in the head with his own sidearm. Like, that's... 
insults on top of injury. You know what I mean? It's bad enough you're going to execute the guy. You got you really have to execute him with his own weapon. You, there's no one else around with a sidearm that you could have used. The the traumatic thing I think is she does it right in the middle of CIC. Yeah, in front of all of the people who is helping to run that ship for her. And then she goes to the next guy who becomes the XO. I am giving you this order. What are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> I'm with you, Admiral. I, I don't know that I would have had the moral fortitude to say, no, I, d- I disagree with your decision here. I'm not going to make that call. I think I may have begun a mutiny right then and there. Just to just kill her. Yeah, th- that is an option yeah. that could have happened. Clearly, this XO was not prepared to do so. I don't even remember what his name was. I don't know if they ever told us. Do they give us? Okay, I, I don't remember a name either. I didn't he's ever he's just one. the XO. Yeah. Uh, I anyway. wondered if that meant he's going to die here pretty quickly. <laughs> she, she's got to execute him because he won't attack Galactica. Um. Rosalind doesn't like that Kane's in charge. She's uneasy about this. She likes the way things are yes, right now. She's just managed to get into a state of stability, yes, right? Everything is flowing well ish. <laughs> and so she doesn't want to rock the boat. This is going to rock the boat. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. Military order is going to be restored. And I, she is. Basically telling Adama, yeah, this is uh, this is the way things are going to run now. Um, I say I put down here. She starts reassigning people. Is that what you're talking about? It, we'll get to that one in a sec. Okay. The the reassigning does happen. Um, the basically people are butting heads a little bit between the two crews back and forth here and there. Um, she gives an order or. Part of one of her orders is, I want to see a log of all of the things that you've done. Sure. So they send the logs over, which are, I think, awesome, handwritten logs. I mean, that would be so easy to put into the computer system. Yeah. But they keep them paper-written In logs. Octa- octagonal-shaped paper. <laughs> uh, I just... Th- Here's what I thought is I looked at all these piles and piles and piles of octagonal notebooks, some of them several inches thick. Uh-huh. Thought, who is the poor intern <laughs> who had to sit around and cut the corners off of a bunch of books? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd like to believe that there's some printer out there who can do custom printing of, of uh, books. okay. You know, for for such an occasion, I didn't think of it. I just thought they had, they just went out and they went down to like a used bookstore, <laughs> bought a bunch of hardback books, and there was some guy who had to sit there and feed these into one of those bulk paper cutters <laughs> and chop off all the corners, <laughs> and then like heaven forbid he get it wrong, right? And it's not octagonal and it becomes this weird rhombus shape, and he's like, <laughs> "Dang it, no! <laughs> <laughs> Better start over." <laughs> So he makes the the comment, "Oh, we got to send all of our logs over there," and uh, Ty says, ah, "I'd love to see her logs." Like, yeah, well, yeah, that would be kind of cool, but context is important. Yeah, you know, we wouldn't necessarily understand the way everything went down there because 
he's not defending this story that Ty says. He's not defending what the Admiral does, but you know, let's not jump to any conclusions here. Let's not judge because there's there may be some context here that we don't have. For example, maybe the other XO was a Leoban. Sure. Or maybe he had been trying to sow, you know, seeds of sedition Discord, and, yeah. and mutiny. And you know what? As the cap as the admiral, the person in charge of this Maybe legally control, yeah. she was within her right to do so. Right. We don't know. As you say, context is everything. Um, and I loved the fact that he says that because he's looking right at the logs and he's making this gesture like, isn't it important here? Yeah. Because what's happened with ba- the Galactica, like if you were to just read them as, look, here is the base fact of what happened and not have an understanding of the emotion the feeling that is running through the entire fleet, it looks way different. Yeah. Um, and that's going to get thrown in his face a little bit later The you know because of some things that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, context is important. The Pegasus has their own prisoner. Yes. And it turns it's out to be number six. And it's clear that she's been beaten, she's been tortured, abused, and we come to find out later, raped. Yeah. So they he, broke her. Yeah. Here, here is the moment that I alluded to earlier. My proof that I am not a Cylon lover. <laughs> I felt no pity whatsoever for that thing. Really? Really? I like. I like. I paused the show and I turned to my wife and I said. Do you feel bad for her? And my wife said, well, yeah, look at her. Look at the condition she's in. And this is before we even found out that she'd been raped, like, multiple times, right? Pro- yeah, pro- yeah, yeah. The, the implication is, you know, please disturb the Cylon is the sign that was hung up, right? Or please disturb the prisoner, something like that. And I just said, I said, boy, I just, I have so bought into this line that they are Cylons and that there's the the things that they did on Caprica have completely dehumanized the actress even for me like if i were to see her in an interview on e or something i don't think i could think of her as a human being so what if it was boomer nothing i feel nothing for these things when the the moment that is so weird Especially right after you are concerned about the way that the pilots are acting about shooting because things they're that- humans. I I I don't want the humans to behave this way, but I don't feel bad for the machines. I feel bad for the humans that they have lost mm, that essential part of their own humanity. I see what you are saying now. That's a, I, I felt. And, and more, more in th- there, what I was trying to say is, I'm, I'm disappointed in the writers because I don't think the way I know these characters, the way I believe these characters to be, I didn't feel that that was a genuine reaction that those characters would have had in that moment. I think that Apollo treats this as a grim duty that has to be performed. I think that Starbuck has a little bit of anger and a little chip on her shoulder as she's doing it, but she's not whooping and hollering with joy they they have feelings about the robots 
I don't feel like that was a genuine reaction. Maybe hot dog. I don't know. Who, who knows what's going on with hot dog? <laughs> but the other characters, that's what I was trying to say. Is It's not that I feel bad at all for the machines. I feel nothing for them. I, I feel like what they did to this Cylon number six is about the equivalent of if my computer crashed and, and died on me and it lost all my data and I gave it a good swift kick. I, I don't feel bad about that. Do you feel bad about you, the person that reacted in such a way though? I I think that it's I think it's I think it's wrong for those people like I, I feel bad about the guys who are there on the ship saying, Oh yeah, let's go down and rape us some Cylon because that is a corruption of their essential humanity. But I myself don't have that humanity that I feel bad for them not having either. Does that make sense? Like I know I should be better than this on some purely intellectual level, but I actually feel nothing. I cannot feel bad for these things. Okay, that's a weird line you walk, but I I understand it at least. Um, I guess you, it's you wouldn't. That- let me ask you this: Would you or would you not defend what we come to find out? His name is Thorn. And the the people who essentially her torturers, what they did to her. No, I would not. I would not defend them, but not because what they were doing hurt the Cylon, but because it hurts them to have done it. Now it is destructive to your to your sense of self to participate in that kind of activity. Right. I I see those people in those in that situation. They're just base animals they yes, aren't human yes, at right. that point that, that's exactly what i'm trying to say what is interesting is a while back we had starbuck trying to uh torture information out of leoban uh-huh and you and i both said really <laughs> that's all you're gonna do there i i can think of way more ways sure, to do yeah. this would you say that this was an effective <laughs> way of like I don't know that I would have verbally ever s- explained <laughs> going to the I extremes say, that they did. R- rape in my book is just sort of one of those things where it's sort of like nah, I I yeah. could never condone that as an act for I I wouldn't ever condone it, but if you asked me, like if I were put on the spot and I needed to come up with a way to just absolutely destroy someone Mentally, emotionally, spiritually, yeah, rape is out there on the list, right? That is that is a very destructive act. But again, I come back to the fact that I still can't defend them for doing it because it also destroyed them. Just, you, by participating in it, you are also harmed. You are no longer human right. yourself. Um, just so we're clear, my ideas for torturing don't don't involve that it would be other forms of physical pain sure. that i would inflict well upon and them. i'm not i'm not saying i think we should be using that as a form of torture or anything like that i'm saying yeah if you asked me to come up with like one of the darkest things you could have done to that character sure that's up there it's on the list yeah i don't want to see it and i don't want the characters that i'm supposed to be extolling as heroes as heroic as the the hope of humanity the the thing that we're supposed to see ourselves as right i don't want to 
associate myself with a character who would do who would even participate in something like that. Right. Still, all that aside, don't feel bad. Didn't feel even a little bit of of sorrow or regret or emotional angst of any kind for six. Not even like my wife was crying at the end when six is eating the food and sobbing. I turn and look at my wife and she's crying. I'm just like, eh, nothing. I got I got nothing from this. Wow, you have no soul. <laughs> just an empty. But at least I cavern. have culture. <laughs> <laughs> you filled your soul, your humanity, with culture. <laughs> All right, well, so we move away from the scene. Um, and- oh, well, just really briefly, I want to mention. So we, the the idea that we can psychologically break a Cylon, I feel like that's going to be important. Okay, can so they break six? Yeah, who is a female? Which I think societally would we would say are the more fragile. Because of the emotional feelings that they have, that's the way society sees them. Okay, I'm not. I'm not coming up with something here and saying, "Oh, women are the worst things no, out there." I, I, I see what you're saying. I just, but I know a lot of women who would really take umbrage at even that suggestion. But okay, <laughs> okay. It's it, it. I think what you're saying is the fact is that this is the way society portrays them today. What if? Instead of six, it was a Leoban. Do you think that you can break a Leoban? Yes, I think you can. See, I don't think so. I think that there is something fundamental about the way that each one of these Cylons were formed. Because they act differently. Okay. And and I don't think that you can break a Leoban. Interesting. I, I kind of feel like Leobans are... A little bit insane, anyway. Like they're a little off, and that's why I don't think that you can break. I, I him. can, I can see your point where it's like, what's there to break? It's not whole in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> that's a really good way of putting it. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Um, okay, so we go to Kane's quarters, and in there we see Adama, and it's basically where he he's about to to get the orders that. You know the. I didn't realize that was her quarters. Yes. Okay. What did you think it was? I don't. I just figured it was some part of Galactica we hadn't seen before. No, that's that's Pegasus. Okay. And it's interesting what's all surrounded in her quarters: implements of war and death. Contrast that with what you find in Adama's quarters. Two very different people. Yeah. Um, One might contend the books are why Adama hasn't ridden to Admiral Hood yet. <laughs> well, I would Admiral probably T? think that it's when you get up that high, their politics begins to yeah, to yeah. play a role in it, I'm sure. And when you look like the tough militant woman, yeah, I think you might rise a little bit more than the book learner. Yeah. Um, That's the same thing I just said. You just said it with more fancy words. <laughs> oh. <laughs> She f- tells him that the Galactica has been being followed by a Cylon fleet, which it kind of makes sense. You know, right. they've got this virus in there. But it's probably been sending out some tracking thing that allows them to follow along. 
Um, it is, uh, let's see here. Uh, she decides to tell him that she's going to integrate the crew. And he's like, well, I thought you were going to leave my, my crew alone. My command. My command. This is my thing here. She's like, yeah, the problem is you're too close to the crew. Yeah. And that's a problem. And I would contend that she's right. Yes. From a military standpoint. Yeah. From a humanity standpoint, we're all trying to just survive. I would lean towards Adama. So, are you saying that the military... Are you saying that you don't feel the uniform code of military justice and the attendant behaviors and rules thereto should apply when society begins falling apart? I I think that they work because society is there. I think and so that if you remove the societal structure, then the rules break down. Yeah, because otherwise what do you end up left with? A well, dictatorship. Yeah, you end up with the admiral. Yes. <laughs> and so I I I think that the admiral loses uh, loses out on her humanity because she has no humanity surrounding her. Okay. There's no fleet that she's protecting. There is just her crew. Okay. That's it. Just the missionary. And this is what we do. We're we're military officers. We're going to act in a military command fashion, which interesting. It, it makes total sense. That what would be interesting, or what is an interesting question that we'll never get to have the answer for, I don't think. What if it was reversed? What if she was the one who had this brood of Civilian. civilians that she had to take care of? What what would she do in this case? Would they try and reform a government? You know, Adama didn't really like the idea. He kind of had to be drugged by the nose along the path. If Rosalind hadn't been there then I think he maybe kind of assumes control yeah. of the fleet and says, yeah, look, th- I'm the one in charge here. This is the way we're going to run things. But I still don't think he ever becomes Admiral What's-Her-Face. Yeah, I, I would probably agree with you on that for sure. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. By the way, I thought it was interesting that her idea of integrating the crew was, I'm going to take all of your good people... <laughs> and move them onto my ship. Well, it's, she basically just took Apollo and Starbuck, right? Did I? Did she take anybody else? Because I, I don't remember seeing anybody else. I thought she said there was someone else that she was going to take. I can't remember now. I could be wrong. Um. So there, t- Apollo Starbuck transferred, and according to <laughs> Starbuck, flying a raptor is insulting. I totally get that. Okay, but she is... Uh, I I find that disappointing. Just because you don't fly the really fast ship with guns doesn't mean you're less of a pilot. Those Raptor pilots still have to do an incredibly difficult job. Okay. And they don't have weapons to protect themselves. I agree with everything you're saying, but let's go back to your comment earlier about how these are kind of the top gun kind of people. Sure, sure. 
it I, would be an insult to take a Top Gun guy and make him pilot a tugboat. Okay. Yes. I wouldn't necessarily go down that far. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't. I, <laughs> not, not being a huge aircraft buff. I, <laughs> a 747. Uh, well, <laughs> well let, let's, let's turn it into a helicopter, a transport no, no, vehicle. A C5. C5 Starlifter. Yeah. Sure. Still a transport thing, yeah. basically. I think that would be insulting to that pilot to say, you know what? Yeah, you may be one of the hottest pilots in the universe. Uh, we're going to have you pilot this thing over here. If I'm one of those pilots and I hear her saying that, I punch her right in the face. You fear a Raptor pilot? Yes. Yeah, I don't think a Raptor pilot heard her say that. I I think you're right. I think I think that there is always kind of that, that stress between different branches or within a given branch of the military within the diff- with the different units different kinds of units you know oh yeah because i remember um i remember hearing a story from one of my uncles no it was a great uncle sorry this is one of my great one so one of my grandfathers he sounds like a great guy one of my grandfather's brothers he was talking about um when they got to shouldn't he be a grand uncle yeah i don't know how all that works I'm trying to remember, it was some island in the Pacific during World War II that the the Navy SEALs went on. They like they went out in, in, ahead and or no, I, maybe, maybe it wasn't the Navy SEALs. Maybe it was the Army Rangers. I can't remember. It's one of those I don't think elite the Navy SEALs. Yeah, existed what, back then. so maybe it was the Rangers. Anyway, it's one of those kind of the elite forces of the United States military as they're going out on this island and they're making this big deal. He, so he's in this unit, and they're making this big deal about how, yeah, oh, you know, we, we're going in and we're, we're retaking this island. There's a sign there on the beach that says, Welcome to such and such island, United States Marines Force Recon. <laughs> like, to basically make the point, yeah, we were here way before you guys, and we already did all the heavy lifting kind of thing. So I can I can see within the military there being that kind of constant kind of back and forth. Yeah, you guys think you're so such, such hot stuff, but without... Without us as the Raptors, without us coordinating and and you know making sure that there's communications and there's good sensor pickup and jamming the signals of the bad guys, you guys would all be dead. I I I think it totally makes sense. Just makes me like Starbucks even less. No, you you're just looking for reasons not to like Starbucks. <laughs> they they're fed to me in almost every episode. Of. <laughs> um, so we now have the beating of Boomer by Thorn. Yeah. Who and the rape. turns out is a rapist. This is where we find out, okay, yep, definitely there was raping going on yep. to, to number six. And the the meticulous way in which he goes about doing this is disturbing. Absolutely disturbing to see this happen. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, it, it, I guess it's been playing pretty heavily in the news lately, what with the uh, uh, the people from, was it Ohio? I want to say Sandusky, but that's only because... Um, Jerry Sandusky? Yes. It's from some... alluding to. It's from... You, didn't re- you hadn't heard about this. I don't know. You all, all you said so far is Ohio. There, there was a rape that that happened. No, I haven't. Two junior age or maybe seniors raped um, a sixteen-year-old girl. Hmm. Got her drunk, 
and had their way with her apparently in various situations and locations. She was, I don't remember if they actually gave her the date rape drug or whatever, but she was not conscious. Not conscious. And they contended, yeah, she gave consent when she wasn't conscious at all. There was nothing there for her okay. to give consent. They have photographs of them, you know, holding her text messages where they, they're like, oh, yeah, she's, you know, she isn't awake. It's like she, you know, we're moving a dead body here. Uh. And there, there's, there's this whole conversation about rape and you know i i've got several friends on facebook who are pretty you know strong-willed about this and have strong feelings and the idea is and i want to i guess i want to reshare this out there just because a woman or a girl dresses in a certain manner does not mean that she's ever quote-unquote asking for it and it's just disturbing. And watching this episode kind of re-stirred up all of those things again and made me want to, you know, I guess say this. I, I hadn't planned on it, but I just, it's not, it's never okay. Yeah. It's never, uh, um, there's never a moment where you think, oh yeah, she's dressed pretty pro- provocatively. She She totally wants me to have sex with her. Whether she says so or not is immaterial by the way she's dressed or by the way she acts. She totally wants me to do this. And it bothers me that there might be young boys out there who think that and think that that's okay. Again, has really nothing to do with this yeah, episode no, other than I the s- fact that it's brought up these uh, because of the episode, you know re-solidified those uh, feelings in my mind. You know, when we had Beth, uh, a close friend of mine, uh, a woman I've occasionally referred to as my second mother, uh, she was she was the parent, the mother of, of close friends of mine, uh, and I was often over at their house uh, trying to avoid my own house. And, <laughs> and so in some ways she, you know, she was, and I'd go to her and talk to her about problems because, you know, you can't ever talk to your own parents, right? Heaven forbid. At least while it's not not your father. Yeah. <laughs> well, I you know I I I just I went to her and I talked to her about things and so in a lot of ways she did kind of serve as a as a second mother for me. And uh, when our daughter was born, shortly thereafter, I, I I saw her and she says, "Oh yeah, I heard you guys had a baby girl. Now you're going to understand that the nice thing about boys." is you only have to worry about the one little thingy. When you have a girl, you have to worry about every little thingy out there in the entire world. (laughs) (laughs) What a great way to put that. That's awesome. But, you know, it's so true. Like, I I look back now at at how I behaved as a teenage boy. I'm like, man, I would never let me near my daughter. What on earth were some of these men thinking, trusting their daughters with me? (laughs) Not that I ever did anything close to, you know, actual, you know, inhuman atrocities like rape or anything like that. Because I I really do see that as an inhuman activity. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I mean, sure, I was trying to get as as much action out of every date that I had as I possibly could manage. And I'm thinking... 
At some point, there's going to be a, do- a boy standing at my doorstep, and all I'm going to see is a bunch of hormones, and I'm going to have to send my daughter out with that. Yeah. Th- this is why they make spy cameras. <laughs> and drones. <laughs> <laughs> So we have uh, uh, Hilo and uh, Tyrrell figure out, oh, my gosh, this guy is uh, about He's down to... down there raping Boomer. Yeah. They run off, and they get there just in time to say, what are you doing? They push Thorn out of the way, and he hits his temple right on a, a bolt. Dies. Yep. It's It could happen. I'm all right with that. And so then all of the other people who were... You know, all of the other guards pull their weapons and say, "All right, you get your hand. You know, get down. You're you're under arrest." And they're they're taken off the ship. And Adama's not happy about this. He's like, "Where are you taking my men? This is my ship. This I this should be done over here. Right, the court martial should be here where the crime was." And she's like, "No, I'm I'm the reigning military advisor Great, here. Come here." And have the court martial, and she's not interested in that. You know, yeah. she's there to protect her people. They have the court martial, which is probably non-existent. Court. Her just saying, "Yep, you guys are gonna get die. You're gonna get shot." Yep. Which why they haven't been shot already? I don't know. Well, because then we can't have the to be continued. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Uh, Baltar, though, he's aboard the Pegasus, and for some reason, he's been granted unfettered access to I, I think this his argument six. actually is very convincing you've had you've used the stick and you didn't get anything useful how about trying the carrot but he's very in the face of the yeah. admiral about yeah. it yeah and basically saying you're an idiot I, but I think you've been doing this wrong I think that speaks her language to her maybe okay that's a good point um, I definitely don't think that she would acquiesce to anything that President Rosalind right. would, would would say. Um, so he basically uh, starts helping her. That's where we have the you know the the tear coming down uh, his face as he's you know so upset you know by the whole thing that's happened. She's a completely broken individual thing. Yes. Uh I said individual. I said thing. Cylon lover. I didn't say human. I said individual. She's still Cylon an individual. Lover. I should, um, I should so, totally vocoder that. <laughs> uh, Adama is so upset by what's going on that he says, Ready a raptor, get my m- marines ready, we're going in, and then calls her up and says I want my my, my people. Back, yeah, I, you know, there's this. There's actually one of my favorite scenes so far this season is when Adam is having this conversation on the phone. We see Callie in the background. Watch her facial expression as Adam is giving these orders, and she's like, "It's dawning on her what he's saying because she can't hear the other half of the conversation. She's having to interpret from what he's saying." And as it dawns on her what's about to happen, it's just that actress did a fantastic job right there. I think she knocked the ball out of that part the park in that scene. Cool. Uh so uh, we're we're heading to a standoff here. This is getting super intense. Starbucks apparently gone missing with the stealth ship. Um Starbuck and the 
the the Pegasus CAG are flying off. They're going to go on this reconnaissance mission to be continued. Yeah. So this is not actually a two-parter episode, as, as some people may have tried to contend. <laughs> there was no Pegasus Part 1. Um, yeah, this, awesome. I love it. Okay, do we have listener comments? Yes. Uh, so, we'll, we gotta go to listener M first. Okay. I was excited for you to get to this episode. Because I wonder what you think of Admiral Kane. Do you hate her as much as Ensign Rowe? <laughs> or what about her character from 24? Lynn Kresig. Kresge. I don't know how you pronounce it. Perhaps Michelle Forbes is just a bad actor. Anyhow. Or perhaps she's just a good actor given bad roles. <laughs> um, anyhow, I like strong female leads. But for some reason, it bugs me when they have no femininity. I hate it when the crew calls her sir. It would be more appropriate to call her ma'am. It's still a term of respect. It reminds me of a recent political hearing involving California Senator Barbara Boxer and a military general. The general is testifying at a hearing and being very respectful, using the term ma'am, when Senator Boxer interrupts the general and asks to be referred to as Senator. The whole scene left me feeling bad for the general, who was being very respectful, and how disrespectful Senator Boxer is. Anyhow, so Admiral outranks Captain. But doesn't President outrank Admiral? You'd think. Shouldn't the President demand that Kane follow her orders? Or have her removed from office? I guess Captain Adama is snapped back into... Uh, right, it should be, he wrote Captain, should be Commander. Adama is snapped back into life as a military officer and realizes that things have devolved a bit too much. TV 8 Sci-Fi 9. A note for Pete to look over before he reads it to Joey. To answer your question, yes, we are going to cover them. <laughs> I don't know when we're going to do it. So, uh, just I'm just throwing that out there, Joey, for you to hear. <laughs> you have no idea what that's about. All right. Um, Even knowing the question is too much? Yes. Not because it reveals anything, but because it tells the, uh, well, it reveals some things. Because I would be able to intuit things from it. No, not necessarily. Oh. Nothing about the actual storyline. <laughs> there, there's some other. I, 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 there's some other stuff we're gonna cover. That's all, all right. I'm saying. Okay. Uh, have a great week, uh, listener M. Uh, Mark, thank you very much. It's a good I hate email. You so bad. <laughs> I'm comfortable with that hatred. Okay, let's go to Brainy. Dun, dun, dun. I gotta say here, dudes, this is what happens when you leave me with this episode for two weeks. <laughs> also, in a way, the Pegasus is what happens when a Battlestar doesn't have alcohol. 
Not only was this episode nominated for a Hugo, Trisha Helfer received various awards for her stunning performance as Head Six looking at her battered avatar. Hmm. Very dark, but great sci-fi. Ike brought in Anne Cofill Sanders to write this one, a great writer from Smallville, Chuck, and 24. She also wrote for Eureka, including the E equals MC squared episode. Okay. I think it was very smart to have a talented woman writer handle this episode, which is, that's pretty, I don't want to say disturbing, but to have that scene written basically by a a woman. woman. Okay. I, I, I think his point is, is well taken though, that man, if you're going to have that, have it written by someone who can emotionally put herself there. Yeah. Welcome back. Lieutenant. We hate you (laughs) except now you're an admiral. Wow. And we thought the fleet had some crappy people, but the fascist blunderbuss that this vessel known as Pegasus has devolved into makes Colonel Ty look like Mr. Rogers. (laughs) By the way, I kind of like the image of Colonel Ty changing into sneakers and putting on a cardigan. (laughs) (laughs) And doing puppets. (laughs) Uh, But back to the horrid uh, subject matter of this episode. Well, (laughs) I was... uh, not re shown, but I, you know, someone reminded me of the uh, ultimate uh, story of ultimate, uh, the ultimate song of ultimate destiny. Ultimate showdown. Ultimate showdown. Thank you. If, if you haven't ever heard this before, ultimate showdown of ultimate destiny, go to YouTube, <laughs> search for it, and be prepared to be amazed. Um, yeah, that that's great. Uh, poor Sharon, poor Sharon. Uh, that's all I can say about that part. Now, I know most of you dudes are watching the series via Netflix, but the DVD sets have distinct advantages. Not only do you get the unprecedented Ron Moore commentary for every episode, there are also certain episodes, like this one, that exist in longer director's cut format. Hmm. The Pegasus Extended Version is a 90-minute mini-movie. I think it's much better. Many scenes are a little longer, adding a lot of texture. Also adding character building, and you get a chance to re-hate Lieutenant Rowe slowly. Letting the ire build organically. Here are the extra stuff you dudes didn't see. Opening of episode... Kara presents her detailed mission plan to rescue the Capricans, and her plan is denied by the old man and Roslyn, leading Kara to like Lieutenant Rowe more. Lieutenant Rowe's fast rising through the ranks is explained in detail by the old man to Roslyn. When Rowe first beholds the Galactica personnel, she recognizes Gaius And he proudly blushes. Interesting. More importantly, 
Lieutenant Rowe explains how the Pegasus was getting its computers overhauled when the apocalypse occurred, leading to their virus immunity. Head Six is in many scenes before she meets her battered self, further setting up her utter shock. Gaeta meets his Pegasus counterpart, Mr. Hoshi. They exchange looks. They swap hard drives. <laughs> Gaeta has lost much library data, so as he was receiving it, Gaeta looks it over and says, You got any porn in here? <laughs> An improved line and a favorite of Ron Moore. I think I hate Rosalind more now when uh, a watch when I watch her totally wilt in front of Roe. When she says, thanks for finding us, she acquiesces all power to the evil Roe. That's a good point. I didn't even think about that at the yeah. time, but she totally does. Yeah. She basically is like a, a dog rolling over on her back and presenting her belly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, although disturbing... The scenes with Ty and the Pegasus XO drinking were great. Director Michael Reimer apparently prefers to shoot old men drinking scenes above all else. <laughs> now, keep in mind that Pegasus had no alcohol until, the, until they bumped into our ragtag drunken bunch. So, in the original series, we have a cane, and in the new series, what do we do? Make that character a woman. As far as the music, we have a very different style with the opening guitar lead music. I don't like it at all. I don't either. I hate when guitars are overdone with an effect called chorus. But I do love the outro piece, which is more in the romantic classical style. Sci-Fi 9, TV 8, Music 7. I don't like watching this, but it's hard to stop watching it. Joey's final five. Okay. Are you ready to start giving Sharon a chance now? No. I I think I already established that. Very clear. Who are some of your favorite writers for the series so far? Have you even been paying attention to that? No, I haven't because normally that's the kind of information I would get off of Let's say a wiki of some sort. Yep. <laughs> Not going to happen. <laughs> What's going to happen next week? So we have the conclusion, yeah. which, by the way, I've already told you is a two-parter. So I think one of the things that we're going to see happen is Starbuck is going to get in some trouble for taking the Blackbird and going out and doing this reconnaissance mission. Oh, we didn't even talk about this. We didn't even talk about this. The ship. Oh, yes. The ship. How did oh. we skip that? Because it's like barely mentioned. I know. It's, like, <laughs> it's the whole reason they're making this reconnaissance trip. Right, right, right. Like they're, they're trying to figure out what this thing is. I think it's where Cylons are reborn, where they wake up. Okay. Uh, that's the only thing I could think. Like as soon as they're like, yeah, there's this big ship. It's bigger than anything we've ever seen. And the whole fleet seems to be protecting it. I looked at my wife. I was like, oh. That's where they wake up. That's where all, that's like their, I don't know what you want to call it, their crash, I guess. Okay. Um, that's what I think it is. So I think Silent, I think Starbuck is going to get that info, but when she brings it back and presents it, instead of being hailed as a, as a hero, she's going to be disciplined for disobeying and being out there in the first place. Okay. Uh, I think that 
Who's going to win? Rosalind is going to promote Adama. She's going to realize that she's the president. She's going to promote Adama to admiral and demote Admiral... What's her name? Admiral Rowe. Well, no, she's not going to demote, but she's going to promote Admiral... She's going to promote Commander Adama to Admiral and side with him, and the rest of the humanity is going to side with him, and Kane is going to have to back down. But I, I think it's going to be an interesting dynamic over the next few seasons because... Obviously, these guys are around for the long haul now. They're here. They're they're going to be a problem that we're going to have to deal with over and over and over again. Okay. If the Cylons were created by humans as a slave race, should we expect them to have our values and morals? Should we expect them to? I've got an answer for this, but I won't say it until you give yours. Not with that word expect in there, but I don't think there's, I don't have an objection to it. Like, I don't think it's bad writing if they do, but I don't think we should expect them to. Okay. Um, I say no. And it's because replace um, Cylons with humans. If the humans were created by humans as a slave race, should we expect them to have our values and morals? And I think no. We create not necessarily a slave race, but the next generation, and we don't always (laughs) expect them to have the same morals and values. They don't. I keep trying to convince my wife that the next generation actually counts as slave labor, and we're allowed (laughs) to make our children do whatever chores we don't feel like doing. I'm like, look, that's that's the process. We're adults now. We treat them like slaves until they grow up and have little slaves of their own. <laughs> oh, brother. <laughs> Remember Galactica in name alone? The protest group? Well, meet the uh, Pegasus Cylon prisoner named Gina. That's who I, that's apparently what her name is. Oh, number six? Yes. My wife asked me that. She's like, so what's, what is her name? I said, I don't know. She said, well, what's, what's Boomer's number? It's like, I don't know. We only ever get the one for each of them. We get either a number or a name. Now, there, there's no real question there, although he does have two question marks. There's no real question for you. Do you remember Galactica in name alone? I don't. That was the protest group. Who was saying, oh, this isn't a real, this isn't Galactica. This is some fanciful new thing. This is only Galactica in name because you're totally changing how all of this is. You know? Wait, so this was like a protest group in the real world when yes. the show was on the air? Not on the air, but when it was announced that they were going to I be doing I never this. heard anything about that. We talked about it on this podcast. I don't remember that. As a matter of fact, I know John mentioned it at some point. Huh. I mean, I remember talking about how... There were... I think, I'm pretty sure Brainy mentioned it as well. <laughs> okay. Because, By that name? Because Edward James almost came out and said, yeah, you people don't know what you're talking about See, here. I remember this talking really about this, but awesome. I don't remember them having the label Galactica in name alone. I don't, I don't yeah. remember hearing that. Because Ron Moore basically took that and made a character named Gina. Because I remember at one point I said, Gina... Because I couldn't, I couldn't figure out how to pronounce G I N A, which is an clearly name of Galactica name Gina. Okay. 
Yeah. Anyway, you you get off. You you only have to answer those four questions okay. this week. So give that's thanks a, to, a light to Brainy. question load this week. In, yes. in addition to only being four questions, eh, there were no real stumpers. Well, you you didn't have to think through anything. Yeah, apparently not. Okay, Joey, what do you give for science fiction? Uh, I give this an eight. We have the the undiscovered ship. Uh huh. We have the fact that Cylons can be mentally broken. Oh yeah, that's a good one. We have the the stress and strain of Adama dealing with this new commanding officer, and he has to come back to. And not only that, it's a younger person, right? She's younger than he is, and sure. that's got to grate a little bit. Just, uh, I think there's enough factors in here that make it science fictiony that we, you know, we're examining ourselves at arm's length. Okay, I give this a nine. I think it's stellar. You're telling a story of this disimplanted, planeted people who are wandering around and we have a new authority figure show up. And how are you going to deal with this? Yeah. But we're doing it in space. And it is amazing. It fires on all cylinders for me. I think that they did an absolutely fantastic job with all of the, the elements that they brought in. Television. Television only gave this a six. Like you asked huh. me, you mentioned how much you liked it. I said oh, I didn't hate it, but I didn't necessarily. You know, I didn't love it either. It was it was a middle of the road episode. I liked some of the things that they did. I again, I still feel like there's some. I don't know. There's some. There's some things they're doing with the characters right now. Maybe it's because we have this different writer that's writing the episode. That could be what it is. I felt like there were a couple places in here where the characters were not acting genuinely to what I believe is a part of that character's natural response in a given situation. Why did you want Starbuck to go have sex with someone and then beat somebody else up without have that, been it's more not that I wanted anything different. <laughs> it's that I just, there were moments where I felt like uh, that's not how Starbuck deals with that. That's not how Apollo deals with that. That's not how uh Hilo deals with that. I cannot disagree with you more okay. <laughs> about this. I give this a 10. Wow. A number one, I, I enjoy watching it, but to answer your contention that this is different, uh, Apollo is given no information that anything's really wrong. He's given an order. He's now in charge over here. He's not the CAG anymore on Galactica. He's now going to be a pilot. On this ship. Yeah. The he goes who... and does what he does. And when faced with, okay, I don't really like what happened with Starbuck here. Hey, Starbuck, I'm going to sow some sedition here. Here's some spy equipment. Why don't you go and follow us along in in the um, stealth ship, the Lara? Um, we have all of the other people, uh, Adama, who basically says... Okay, yeah, I, you are the one in charge until he realizes something is terribly wrong. And he says, no, I'm going to assume control here Yeah, I again. think Commander Adama, actually, I feel is fairly consistent here. Uh, Ty is... Ty. Ty, I mean, I he, he did get drunk, so <laughs> yeah, they fulfilled that one perfectly. <laughs> um, and then Rosalind, I didn't see anything bad out of her because... The um, Kane didn't really confront her 
and try and pick a fight with her. All she did was just ignore her. And there hasn't been enough interchange between them to see, to have Rosalind's teeth come out and say, no, you're not going to treat me that way. I can stand my ground just as much as the next guy. Uh, I love every part of this episode. It had me hooked from go. <laughs> and to seal the deal more, I didn't find Lieutenant Rowe unpleasing. I actually liked what that actress did in that okay. role. The actress, she yes, is, not the character. She, The character She's is despicable. a terrible, yeah. terrible yeah. person. And the actress played that role perfectly. I agree with that. You're, you're not supposed to come away and say, boy, that Adama's a real jerk for not getting in line <laughs> behind Admiral Kane. Yeah. No, she's terrible. She is wrong for this fleet. And she was fantastic at that. And you know, I don't like this woman. Yeah. I do not like this actress. Well, so, I just don't think the, you like the roles that she's been given. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> Uh, so that's why I say that this is for me a home run. This is a this is a ten as far as the series is concerned. Okay. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Well, that brings us to the end of another podcast. We hope that you've been inspired to take a deeper look at your entertainment choices and discuss it with friends, family, or just a couple of complete strangers you only know from the internet. As always, we invite your comments to our email at trekwest5 at thehomestarmy.com. You can tweet Pete at trekwest5, or you can call and leave us a voicemail at 801-508-4242. So until next time, I am Joey. And I am Peter. And we thank you for listening. Morning, son. It's good to see you again. So good to see you.